He's worthy, amen. Hey, before we continue to worship, can we just slip our hands to heaven and invite the presence of the Lord into this place? Lord, we just take this moment. Lord, we declare that you are welcome here, Lord. Lord, we want to build you a throne, Lord, to inhabit this place, God, Lord, because we know in your presence things change. God, and, your, and when your spirit is here, God, things, Lord, in our lives begin to change. No matter what we walk through those doors with, God, nothing is impossible with you, God. And we just invite you to be in our in our midst today, Lord, and we welcome you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.
watch and wonder on that day when time is over You 
sing that with me this morning. We say, Lord, thank you, Jesus, just as I am, I come, hallelujah, hallelujah, oh, what amazing Just say thank you, Lord. 
just thank you for loving us. And God, just the best way we know how today, we just come. Lord, we're here. We love you. We need you. Lord, we thank you that your word says that you're a near God. You're not far off. You love us. You care about us. Even though sometimes we we make mistakes, God, you are here. And God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, God, that we don't deserve. We bless you this morning. You know, this past, actually it was yesterday, uh, my wife and I and our kids, we were in Oklahoma City, and we were headed, headed back to Texarkana, and we were just about to get on the Indian Nation Turnpike, and if you've drove that way, you know it's a lot of nothing that's out there. And I just happened right before we got on uh, the, the turnpike there, I looked down in our gas gauge, and we didn't have hardly any gas at all. And I got some anxiety. You ever felt that? Like, oh, my gosh, I've got to get some gas. And so, you know, we pulled in, and we got some gas and filled up, and we made it obviously no problem. But, you know, as I was just praying about the service today, I feel like the Lord was saying there's a lot of people that may be in here this morning that you're running low. Maybe you're running low on some peace or some joy. Maybe you're stressed out. How many people know, for some of us, it's been a long year. Here we are. It's the end of November. 2016 is almost over. The holidays have begun. And maybe just some things have happened in your life. And this year hasn't been great. Maybe you feel like your spiritual walk is just, it's waning. And what you need is you need God to refill you. You need God to restore. You need God to give you peace. Let me tell you this morning that we serve a God that gives peace. We serve a God that gives joy. We serve a God that can fill an empty tank. And in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, the Bible declares, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Listen, God loves you. He cares about you. And there's some people that you're tired, you're wore out, and God's going to strengthen you this morning. I want our prayer team to come up right now. If you need prayer for anything, we want to pray with you. But particularly, you just feel you're, you're tired, you're wore out. Maybe you feel like your passion for the Lord is gone. We want to pray with you. God's going to strengthen you. Amen? Amen. Let's worship God.
bless your name. Turn around, greet two or three people, tell them how happy you are to see them in the house of the Lord.
welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. And don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you know there is always a place for you. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. On Wednesday, December 7th, we will have special guest speaker, Dr. Lawrence Kennedy, who is the founder of Church on the Rock Texarkana. Dr. Kennedy's giftings and history of ministry experience will bless us all. The Church on the Rock Women's Conference, It Changes Everything, is March 2nd through the 4th at Pine Cove Retreat in Tyler, Texas. Sign up in the foyer today. Bring your used coats, sweaters, sweatshirts, hoodies in good condition for those in need during the cold winter months. Baskets are in the foyer. We have a Mexico mission trip interest meeting on December 4th at 9 a.m. upstairs in Kid Zone. The trip is January 20th. This Christmas, we as a church are dedicating ourselves to actively impact our community with kindness and love. We are asking everyone to pick up a Christmas Outreach Opportunities Flyer and see the many different ways you can get involved and be a blessing this Christmas. There is Sidewalk Sunday School, Nursing Home Ministry, Project Hope, Gifts for Missionaries, Coat Drive, Prison Ministry, Help the Homeless, and many more ways you can spread the love of Jesus this Christmas. There once was a very strong woodcutter who got a job with a timber merchant. His boss gave him an axe and showed him the area where he was supposed to work. The first day, the woodcutter brought down 18 trees. Congratulations, the boss said. You are our best woodcutter yet. Very motivated, the woodcutter tried harder the next day, but he could only bring down 15 trees. The third day, he tried even harder, but could only bring down 10. Day after day, he was bringing less and less trees. I must be losing my strength, the woodcutter thought. He went to the boss and apologized, saying that he couldn't understand what was going on. When was the last time you sharpened your axe? The boss asked. Sharpen? I had no time to sharpen my axe. I've been too busy trying to cut more trees for you. Well, amen. How many had a blessed Thanksgiving? Anybody out there? I'm telling you, I was so blessed. I think I'm on my last little notch here on the belt, but... Look at your neighbor and say, you look blessed today, amen, in a good way, hallelujah. As you saw, the men's conference is coming up, and this is really the last week to sign up, and there's a few spots left, but sign up in the foyer, make arrangements, get your money in, because they want that in by the next weekend. I think it's going to be a great time. This is a, a, a national kind of a men's retreat at Pine Cove, and, and some great speakers and other churches, so it's going to be a great time. Hey, hopefully everybody got a little insert in your bulletin. If not, get one of those, take it home with you, pray over it. Because these are opportunities to bless people, to bless our city. And so there's going to be a lot of uh, outreaches you heard on, this, on our video announcements of things we can do. As a matter of fact, starting uh, in just a week, we have not just two sidewalk Sunday schools we're going to do, but we've got four sidewalk Sunday schools this year, twice as many, twice as many, probably 200 kids. And so that means uh, there's a lot of presents to wrap. And 
my office is already overflowing with gifts. So if you can come Thursday at 10 o'clock, help wrap gifts, that'll be a big help or participate in the outreaches. But I believe everybody, just think, we have, I think, 1,250 people here last weekend. If every one of us just do a little something, just think how we'll bless our city. And not just our city, our missionaries. And I believe everybody can do something. If it's just give a dollar in that globe to go to Bibles or a little change in that little uh, can there for children in Haiti. So there's something you can do. So be a part of that. We're we'll going to continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. And you know, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. It says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. But it says, give as you purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or into compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So at, at no time do we want you to ever feel pressured to have to give. We're going to talk about finances because it's an important part of our life, and God wants to bless you, and I hope you want to have a blessed life. And find out what God says about bringing that tithe to the storehouse, that 10%, because after you do that, then everything else is a seed. And I read in my commentary this morning that your need is a seed. Think about that. All of us have needs. But a lot of times that seed you have, when you plant that, that'll come up and God will bless you. And not only that, but it blesses the other person. So it's a win-win, isn't it? When you can be a blessing to somebody. So my prayer is our church will continue to be a blessing to the nations, to our city. But I pray that you be blessed. Why? So you can be a blessing to somebody else. Isn't that what it's all about? Amen. God bless you as you give today. Give a lie, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken.
This would be a good time to pour out some praise. Come on, let him hear your voice. Let him hear your hand clap. God, you're worthy. You're a wonderful God. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Well, just stay standing a moment. Um, we're going to pray for Pastor John and his family. we got a special guest speaker. It's one of the elders in our church. Come stand with me. This is Wally Olasande. And going to be a great, great message. And, and let's just pray for Pastor John as he's with his family this weekend, getting ready for the next series. And, Father, we thank you for our pastors. Lord, we thank you for Pastor John Linnell, and Linnell. And we ask you to bless him, strengthen him, Lord. And we pray for Pastor Linnell's mother who broke her hip, and she's been out there just kind of waiting on her. And we pray for a speedy healing. And, and Lord, again, we just ask you to bless their family, Lord. And this is your house. Unless you build the house, we labor in vain. So, Lord, come and just continue to build this house. Let us be a blessing to our community and a blessing to the nations in Jesus' name. Amen. And before we said, how about one big round of applause for great man of God, Wally, as he shares the word with us today. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. We may be seated. Amen. Thank you. God bless you too. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Uh, I'm glad we're here in church this morning. How many of us are glad to be in church? There's no better place to be at this time and right now, you know. Just put those hands together for Jesus one more time. You know, I'd rather be where God is than where God used to be. Because in the presence of God, the Bible says there is fullness of joy. Even in this Thanksgiving season, we have every reason to give thanks to God. This season might have been rough for some of us. But you know what? Where you are... Is a miracle that somebody is seeking. Some people will actually roll on the floor if they have what you have today. So no matter what you do not have yet, we should thank God for what we have. Because God is a good God. Hallelujah. I've been telling a story about my boys. And we have two boys. One is 13, the other one is 8. And God teaches me through them all the time. There was this time my wife noticed that our younger son, who was seven at the time, was spending a lot of time in the shoe closet. And when she asked them, why are you spending so much time in the shoe closet? He said, well, you know, I'm looking for the colors that will match what I'm wearing. Now, our older son could wear the same pair of shoes for two years if you let him. But the younger one has to match everything. And my wife said, make up your mind. Hurry up. It's time to go to school. And one day said, I can't decide what I want because I only have six pairs of shoes. Only six pairs of shoes? 
I had to sit him down. And so I told him, listen, the first time I ever had six pairs of shoes, I was already over 25 years old, okay? So be thankful for what you have. How many of us are thankful for what we have? Whether it's one or even if you don't have any, thank God that you are alive and well. Because when there is life, there is hope. And I thank God for the opportunity to speak the word of God to us this morning. I do not take this for granted. I want to thank God for Pastor John, Pastor Lanell, Pastor Mike and Miss Sharon, and Pastor Travis and all the leaders of Church on the Rock. In this house, we believe in every single person that God brings here. And everyone that comes into this house can fulfill their potential. No matter what God has called you to be, you can be all that God has called you to be here in this house. So we don't take that for granted. Now, when you look at what's going on in our nation, when you look at the, the, the chaos that you hear on TV every day, when you go on social media and you hear all kinds of things, you see all kinds of posts and some from Christians, from some friends, there's a tendency to focus on what the devil is doing. The hatred, the hostility, the division, I mean the lawlessness, the fact that people just, we just can't seem to get along. There's a tendency to focus on that and think that that's all that is happening in our nation. But ladies and gentlemen, that is not all that is happening in our nation. The devil is doing a lot, but God is doing a whole lot more. And if we focus on what the devil is doing, you know what's going to happen? We're going to feel powerless and paralyzed and feel that we're hopeless. But this nation is not hopeless. But our hope is not in the White House. Our hope is not in the policies of the politicians. Our hope is in Christ, the living God. The future of this nation will depend upon men and women like you and I that will get on our knees and say, God, remember the word that you have spoken concerning this nation and bring your word to pass. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds. Not just about it abounds, much more. So we have a choice, people of God. Are you going to be a messenger of sin? Of hatred, of bias, of prejudice, of hostility? Or are you going to be a messenger of grace, the love of God? The fact that all men are equal. That people that don't look like you, see like you, think like you, or talk like you, God loves them just as he loves you. Could it be that it was God that made some of us black? and some white, and some brown? Or was it just an accident of nature? Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, the color of my skin is not an accident of nature. As a matter of fact, God had to look for the best color. I said, that's Wally right there. And he did the same thing for you. So I don't have to want to be you. You don't have to want to be me. But together, we form a mighty force that will bring back the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in our time and in our age. Our God is a good God. The Bible says in the book of 1 John chapter 4 verse 20. It says, whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot 
cannot love God whom they have not seen. I didn't write this. So don't get mad at me. God said, if you don't love your brother or your sister whom you see, you cannot love God whom you have not seen. Could it be because that brother or sister, and it doesn't really mean Pastor Mike, Pastor Travis, because you know they love you. I mean, that guy, that woman that doesn't really love you, that can't stand you. Could it really mean that they are God's children as well? So when we say, God, I love you, and we can't stand our brothers and our sisters just because they are not like us, what we're really telling God is that, God, I don't like you. I don't love you. Because God measures our love for him by how we love people. Because they are God's children too, just like you. Imagine someone coming to you and saying, you know what? I just love you with all my heart. And here you are feeling good. Wow, I'm loved. I said, but you know, that's your daughter, Brittany. I hate her to death. I just cannot stand her. I mean, how many of us will feel very loved? So how do you think God is feeling loved when you're saying, God, I love you. But that means Dorothy, she makes too much noise. We express our love to God by how we love people. Jesus told his disciples, he said, by this, this, shall men know that you are my disciples. Know how much you dance in church? It's great to dance. I love dancing. And not how much you yell and scream and raise up your hands. Those are wonderful things. But Jesus said to his disciples, it's going to be by love. It's going to be by how you love one another that men are going to see you. Because men out there don't care how much we know until they see how much we care. And if we are not going to show the love and the care that Christ has for our world, we might as well forget about it. Because the solution is not going to come from the policies that the politicians will put in place. You and I are part of the solution. God is counting on us. Could it be that when God sees what's going on in our nation, he has a plan? Do you really think he has a plan? I do think that God has a plan. I think that God has not washed his hands off our nation. The truth is the problem in our nation, the problem of hatred and hostility and division, is not an American problem. And really, it's not new. It's been from the beginning. Cain killed Abel, the same race, the same father, the same mother. But hatred was in his heart. Hatred is a direct consequence of sin. As long as we live in this sinful nature, those hateful things can be there. But guess what? They bow at the feet of the love of Jesus Christ. We've all experienced the love of God here, haven't we? And we still continue to experience the love of God. But God is wanting you and I to become conduits of his love. And that's the title of the message this morning. Conduits of God's love. God's love has to flow. God sent Jesus Christ. He came in the flesh. But now he's not here in the flesh. But he's still here. You know where he is? He's in you. He's in me. So that when men look at us, they're supposed to see Jesus. There's an old song that says that you are the only Jesus that some will ever see. So what kind of Jesus are we showing our world? Are we showing a divided Jesus but are, or are we showing a loving Jesus? I was thinking about, you know, what's going on in our nation and how we should respond to it. 
And one of the things that I, that I saw while I was praying for this message was a quote by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He said that darkness cannot eliminate darkness. Only love, only light can do that. And hatred cannot eliminate hatred. Only love can do that. So if we want to see a change in our nation, it's not going to come by just writing all those nasty posts on Facebook that are saying all those things. Those things just make things worse. What's going to change our nation, what's going to change our neighborhood, what's going to make Texarkana a place where the Spirit of God moves and lives and works is going to be the love of God that we display. God is calling on us to be the conduit of his love. And I was praying, and one morning I woke up and continued to, I was praying, and the Lord brought a picture to my heart. It was a picture of something that happened about 10 years ago. And the Lord told me that that's the situation of the heart of many of us Christians. And that's part of why things are the way they are in our nation. Don't look at the people out there that don't know Jesus and expect them that they should know better. Why should they know better? Sin is sin. That's what you do. But when you're a child of God, you display the love of God. That's what we do. So God showed me this, uh, reminded me of this incident in New York. About 10 years ago, my wife and I, uh, you know, wanted to buy our first house. We were really excited. It was towards the end of the real estate boom. And, you know, everybody was buying. Why not? It's part of the American dream. We need to buy our own house too. And we had been shopping for, for you know, a nice house. And we found this one. And we went to look at the house. As soon as you walked in, the floor was just old, hard wood, well-sanded, well-polished. Not any of these fake ones that they make these days. You know, well-polished. It was beautiful. I just fell in love. The walls were nicely painted, different colors. The kitchen was nice. Appliances, top shape. You know, so we fell in love, right? And we made an offer. We hired a, an inspector, looked at the house, came back. Report was good. House was in good shape. Maybe a couple of things that we needed to fix, but that was not, not a deal breaker. So we moved in. December 6, 2006, we moved in. And not a long time after that, we found out that it was a problem. Now, the problem was not on the surface. It was not with the painting on the wall. It was not in the aesthetics well, it was in the belly of the building. Before we moved to that house, we lived in an apartment building. And I know there are a few people here that lived in New York before. In, in high-rise apartment buildings in New York, the way the showers flow, I mean, they flow like a mighty rushing wind. You know, you are in the shower. Sometimes you have to really dock because the waters, they flow, I mean, forcefully. You have to be clean when you take a shower in an apartment building in New York. So that's what we were used to. Now we moved to this house and the shower was sluggish. And well, it's like the first day, second day, after a while, we couldn't deal with it. There's got to be a better way than this. And the longer we stayed in the house, the worse it got. We called the plumber. He came the first time. He said everything was fine, blah, blah, blah. You know, we did all kinds of things, you know, shook the pipes, changed some faucets, did everything on the outside. But the problem was not on the outside, ladies and gentlemen. The problem was on the inside. Called the plumber back. He came and said, well, I need to dig deeper. 
I need to break the walls. And the same way God needs to break some walls and dig down into our hearts where the issue really is. Because the issue is not on the surface. The issue is the issue of the heart. So when they opened the wall, it cut a small portion of the pipes. And when we noticed that the pipe that was supposed to be a conduit, taking water from the source and delivering to the people that, you know, were in their need, was clogged. The house was built in 1938. And over the years, the, the copper pipes was growing inwards and there was so much clog. So much so that if you took an inch of the pipe and you look through, you couldn't see the other side. An inch. It was that clogged. And the Lord said to me, that's the condition of the heart of so many of us Christians. That over time, things have happened that have clogged our heart. That has made it so difficult for us to relate with people that are not like us. To love people that are not like us. And no one is really exempt from this because as long as we are in this sinful world, the devil will bring that temptation to you and I to only love and have, you know, great uh, affection for people that are like us. We had to change every single pipe in that house. A house that was built in 1938. They had to cut through solid, you know, br bricks and, and to, to change the pipes. It was expensive. And I asked myself, the people that sold the house was, why didn't they change it? Because it was going to cost them. To be the conduit of God's love is going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your ego. It's going to cost you what you've always known. It's going to cost you to lay down your pride and to love the way Jesus loves. And they actually didn't cause that problem. The people that sold the house was, they inherited the problem from somebody else too. And the problem was getting worse because it was getting passed from one generation to another. When things are passed from one generation to another, it just gets bigger and bigger. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to cause a change in this nation, you have to come to a point where you say, the buck stops here. I'm going to stop pointing fingers. I'm going to stop saying somebody else should fix it. I'm going to do my part to be a part of the solution. If it means changing the pipes, God, change the pipes. And I pray that in this place today, God will cause a change of heart in every single one of us so that we can truly be the conduit of God's love. And that's the first point here this morning. We need a fresh touch of God upon our heart. It's not a matter of being careful how you say things. It's a matter of the heart. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatsoever is abundant in your heart is going to find expression in your life. You can try to be careful all you want. It's going to slip out someday and you're going to say some things and you look at yourself. Say, why did I say that? And you beat yourself up in the head and say, I can't believe I just said that. It didn't come from nowhere. It came from here. It was here. You didn't deal with it. That hatred was here somewhere. But you didn't deal with it. But God wants to deal with our heart, people of God. He wants to give us a heart of flesh in place of hearts of stone. A heart of stone is a heart that doesn't care for other people. When the children of Israel, you know, they, they, they were living in disobedience against God. 
and people around them, the nations around them didn't see them reflecting the love of God. God said to them in the book of Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, he said he was going to make a change. And the change he was going to make, it was not about to paint the wall. It was not about to change the furniture. He said to them that a new heart I will give to you. I will remove from you a heart of stone. And I will give you a heart of flesh. That's what God wants to do in our lives. That's how we can indeed and truly be the conduit of God's love that, God's want, that God wants us to be. Romans 5.5. 5. The Bible says, and hope does not disappoint us. Or hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been shed abroad in our heart. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. If you are a child of God in this house today, there is love in your heart. If you are connected to the source, there is no scarcity in the source. Because God is the source of love. And there is no scarcity of needs around you. You don't even have to look far. You can just look to your right, to your left right now. There is need for love, even here in the house. But that love will not flow if we let the clog in our hearts remain. Can we just take a minute right now and just place your hand upon your, upon your heart and just ask God, God, touch my heart. I want everyone to pray that prayer. God, touch our hearts today, Lord Jesus. Touch our hearts today, Lord Jesus. Make our heart like you. Make it like your heart, oh God. Break our hearts with the things that break your heart, oh God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we need a fresh touch of God upon our heart. The second thing that we need is that we need to rediscover who we are. I need to rediscover who I am. I need to redefine, for God to redefine to me. And this has to be an ongoing thing. Because life has a way of redefining you. Life has a way of wanting to tell you who you are that is contrary to who God says you are. As a matter of fact, life did that to Jesus. In the book of John chapter 6 verse 15, they wanted to make Jesus king. That was not the reason why he came. He didn't come to be an earthly king. But life wanted to redefine him. And the Bible said Jesus withdrew himself. He came to love mankind, not to be some political figure. Because he knew that the solution to the problem of sin that mankind has was not going to be solved by politics. It was going to be solved by his love that he brought to us. And disciples almost fell into the same trap. In Luke chapter 9 verse, from verse 51. I read, it says, uh, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem, that is Jesus, and he sent messengers ahead of him, and he went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. Now, the Samaritans and the Jews were really cousins. Because the Samaritans were descendants of the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, and the Levites. But they married from other tribes. So they and the rest of the, you know, of the descendants of Abraham were, were, were you know, the Jews were not at peace. So it's, it's like a picture of what we see around today. 
It was a matter of us versus them. That's the way the devil wants us to see ourselves. Us versus them. As long as we're thinking us versus them, we're not going to be able to display the love of God that God wants to shine through us. So in verse 54, it says, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come from heaven and consume them? Isn't that how we feel sometimes? These were the same people that were following Jesus. It wasn't some people that didn't know. And Jesus said, no. The Bible says, he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. You are a different person. The Bible says we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, that we may show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He said to them, the Son of Man did not come to destroy, but to save lives. That's why God placed you here. That's why God allowed you to be in America right here, right now. So you and I have a part to play. So we need to rediscover who we are. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, it says, you are the light of the world. Like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. So if before you declare or you define yourself as being white, you ought to see that you are a child of God. Before I define myself that I'm black, I am the light of the world. Before I am whatever it is that I am, I'm a banker, I'm a husband, you know, I'm a coach, whatever. I am a Christian. And if I'm walking from the perspective of being a Christian first, there's no way I'm not going to treat you right. There's no way I'm going to close my eyes to the needs around me. Because I'm seeing myself the way God wants me to see myself. We need to rediscover who we are. Don't let what you inherited from your parents and your grandparents define who you are. You are a child of God. And we are different. We are a child of love. And we can love like Jesus loves. My third point is love the Jesus way. Love the Jesus way. The Jesus kind of love took him to the cross. Do you think it was convenient? It wasn't because Jesus was God and it was just so easy and he just went on the cross. It was not easy. Do you know that Jesus did not want to die at some point? That's why he prayed, Father, let this cup pass over me. Because it was not easy. That's the Jesus kind of love. The Jesus kind of love is proactive. The Bible says he came to seek and to save the lost. The Jesus kind of love looks beyond your comfort zone and looks at people around you that are in need and you reach out to them. Even if they don't love you, you love them anyway. That's the Jesus kind of love. The Jesus kind of love made Jesus spend time with the Samaritans. The same Samaritans that would not receive him. The Jesus kind of love made Jesus spend time with the, with the tax collectors. As a matter of fact, he saw a man called Zacchaeus one day. And he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Now, the religious people did not like that. But the Jesus kind of love will associate with people that others will not want to associate with. His own people didn't like that, but Jesus was different. The same way you and I are supposed to be different. Because that's the Jesus kind of love. Jesus was able to separate between the sins of people and the persons 
And sometimes that's how the world doesn't want us to see people. You see, you know, a different group of people and, you know, the way they behave is not like you are used to. And instead of condemning an action, we condemn a people. And sometimes things happen in our nation. Maybe a black man does something and the devil makes you think that's how they all are. Or a white person does something or a Spanish person does something and the devil makes you think that's how they all are. That is not true. That is a lie of the devil from the pits of hell. But God is waiting for a people that will say, no, I'm going to take a stand for Jesus and declare that the love of God will reign in our nation. So God wants us to love the Jesus way. Jesus' kind of love is selfless. He doesn't just think about you and your children. The Jesus' kind of love is sacrificial. Go out of your way to be a blessing to somebody. And we have a great opportunity at this time as Christmas is approaching. As Pastor Mike announced earlier on, there's so many programs going on here in Church on the Rock where we're reaching out to our community. So every single one of us can do something. I was speaking to somebody yesterday and she said something that there was a time in our life that she didn't know what it meant to give something away. That's one of the ways that we show love to a dying and a needy world. For God so loved the world that he did what he gave. So love the Jesus way. I pray that God will help you and I to love the way that he loves. That's the way we're going to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Our nation doesn't need any more people to add to the problem. The problems are there already. We need problem solvers. And that is you and I. God is counting on us. My last point this morning is that we need to leave a legacy of love. Like the story I told earlier on, they were passing the problem with the pipes from one owner to the next, from one generation to the next. Do you know that it was possible our son, our younger son was born in that house if we didn't fix that problem and he probably would grow up thinking that that's the way showers are supposed to flow. Showers are supposed to be sluggish because that would be all he knows. And you know, for some of us, that's the way it is. That's the way we've seen, our, you know, the people around us, our parents treat other people. So that's all we know to treat people. That's how we know to treat people. But I pray that you will make up your mind. That you're not going to leave a legacy of hatred. You're not going to leave a legacy of bias for your children. You're not going to leave a legacy that your children will have to battle with in the future. Throughout this election, a lot of things happened. And I'm sure a lot of things broke all our hearts. But one of the things that broke my heart the most were the things that I, you know, whether I saw on TV or heard that children's were, children were saying. A lot of the time, my, my younger son will come home and ask questions. Oh, somebody said so and so. And in my heart, I'd be like, why? Why would children say things like a third grade child? What do they know? But the truth of the matter is they were only repeating what they heard their parents or people around them say. In other words, we're already shaping their future the wrong way by the things that they hear out of our mouths. 
one of the most absurd ones that he asked me was, Dad, is it true that if Hillary Clinton wins, that she was going to get rid of money and plant a chip at the back of our heads, and that's how we're going to be buying and selling? I mean, that's just insane. But guess what? I'm sure it was a Christian home where they said that. Because people were already thinking the Antichrist. He didn't have to go that. I mean, it's just messing up the minds of these young ones. People have got, let's help the next generation be better than ours. The politicians are not going to do that. It's going to be you and I. God said concerning Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 verse 19. God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, which almost looks like America right now. But God looked around and he saw somebody who was going to be a conduit of his love. Who was going to be a conduit of his covenant, of his grace, of his eternal plan for mankind. It was Abraham. And God said concerning Abraham, he said, for I know him. That he will command his children and his house, household after him. That they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. And I ask myself, when God looks at me, what is God going to say about me? When God looks at you, what does he say about you? What does he know about you? Does he know that you teach your children the ways of God? Or does he know that you're passing hatred onto the next generation? God wants us to be like Abraham that will not only live right, but teach our children to live right. I was getting, uh, I was getting happy with myself that, you know what, I don't have a problem. I mean, I'm just good. You know, we're good in our house. We don't talk about white people the wrong way. We don't talk about Spanish people the wrong way. I mean, we just love all men. We're just good. So my children don't have to worry. They see example of love in us. And the Holy Spirit said to my heart, that's not enough. Not only don't I say evil things about people of a different race, I need to begin to teach my children, actively teach them to love people that don't look like them, that don't talk like them. Because they may not hear hate out of my mouth, but they hear it at school. But when I teach them, when I show them by example, when they see my life reflecting the love of God, when they see me being the conduit of God's love, anytime they come against hatred and hostility, you know what they're going to remember? They're going to remember the words of their mother. They're going to remember the actions that their father showed them. And that's going to guide how they lead their lives. Things can be better. But it's only going to be better when each and every one of us take responsibility. You may not be able to change the world, but if you can change a life, you're changing a generation. You may not be able to, you know, to go to Africa and do things. But if you will reach out to the neighbor next to you and show them the love of God, you don't know how far that love can go. Can you imagine if you were the one that led Billy Graham to the Lord? That's the power of just touching one person with the love of God. The end time army of God is not white. The entire army of God is not black, it's not Spanish, it's not Asian, it's not short or tall, it's not rich or poor. The entire army of God is a group of people that have been washed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that are sold out to the cause of God, that are going to say we're going to live by the word of God, by the standard of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be the conduit of God's love. 
and I want to be part of that army. I don't want to be part of people that propagate hatred and hostility. Even when I see it, even if it happens to me, I'm going to respond with love. Because love changes all things. As we close this afternoon, we're going to pray. Can we all rise up? How many of us want to see a change in our nation? Be the change that you want to see. We know that God wants to see a change in our nation. Be the change that God wants to see in our nation. God is counting on us. Are we going to let him down? Or are we going to let God have his way? It's going to start in our heart. It's going to start by us rediscovering who we are and loving the way Christ loved. I mean, sometimes your heart is going to lead you, but sometimes you have to lead your heart. Sometimes you're not going to feel like loving. And when you show love, you're not being a hypocrite. That's a lie of the devil. Some people try not, they don't do good because, well, they think if I, you know, I'm nice to Greg, but inside my heart, that's not what I'm feeling. Then I'm being a hypocrite. You know, the word of God to love is a commandment. When you begin to love, your heart will respond. Lift up your hands this afternoon. And I want you to talk to God. I don't have it all together yet. I'm not like Jesus completely yet. There's more work that God needs to do in me. And I know that there is more work that God needs to do in you as well. So I want you to take a minute and talk to God for yourself. And say, God, touch my heart. I want to be a conduit of your love to my generation. I want to leave a legacy of love for my children. I don't want to be one of those that point finger and see what others are doing wrong. I want to say, regardless of what others are doing, God, use me. Lord, break every hardness in our hearts today, oh God. Lord, break every hardness in our hearts today, oh God. Every prejudice, everything that makes us not to receive the men and women that are made in your image. Lord, break such hardness. Replace every heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Work in us, oh God. Do a deep, thorough work in our hearts right now, oh God. Right now, we call on you. We cry to you, oh God. Lord, we need you. Our nation needs you, oh God. Lord, we surrender to you. We surrender to your love. We surrender to your will. And while we continue to pray, I'd like to give opportunity to somebody here this afternoon. The greatest work that God wants to do in your heart is for Jesus to come and make residence in your heart. For Jesus to come and be the Lord and Savior of your life. I had to make this decision. It was August 15, 1993 that I made this decision for Jesus. My life has never been the same since then. Maybe God brought you here this afternoon. But you don't know if you die today that you're going to be with Jesus. You don't know if you're going to heaven or hell. God wants you to be sure this afternoon. That's the reason why he brought you. And we'd like to pray with you. We'd like to welcome you into this house. We're not asking you to be a part of Church on the Rock. 
but we're asking you to be a part of the family of Jesus Christ. So if you are like that here this afternoon and you want Jesus Christ to come and be Lord over your life, I want you to raise up your hand. I want you to raise up your hand if you are here and you would like to accept Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you've been a Christian but you've turned your back on Him but you want to come back home. The time to do that is now. I see those hands and God sees them. Bible says angels are rejoicing in heaven when a soul returns to God. So we rejoice for those hands. And for those that raise up your hand, I'd like to invite you to come meet somebody at the cross. We'd like to invite you to come to the cross. There is healing at the cross. There is salvation at the cross. Come to the cross. Let somebody pray for you. Your life will not remain the same. For everybody else, there is healing power in the house this afternoon. There is power to heal, power to save, power to deliver. And if you came here with any kind of pain, whether it's a pain of the heart or pain in your body, God wants to heal you before you leave here today. I'd like to invite our prayer team to come forward. And if you're here, there's any kind of pain, whether it's a hurt, emotional pain, or whether it's physical pain, God wants to heal you. You don't have to live here the same. As we sing that last song, we'd like to invite you to come forward. Or if there's any need in your life at all that you want God to solve, there is solution in the house today. So come forward, let somebody pray for you. And God will do great things in our lives. God bless you.